Welcome to a special episode with uh, trying to address uh, and and provide some some chizuk and and guidance for Achinu Bnei Yisrael for all of us in the current situation we're in. I'm very appreciative to Ray Robinson for making time to have this conversation with me. Since moving to Chicago, Ray Robinson's been someone I've gotten to know and and learned a lot uh, from. And uh, thank you for for making some time in your busy schedule. Thank you, Yaakov. Thank you everything for you do for the community and for Kalal Yisrael and the tremendous chutz to be here. So I wanted to start out by asking you, I wasn't there for this, but I heard from a number of my friends, a very powerful uh, drusha you had given the Shabbos after uh, all of this started. And I uh, was wondering if you could kind of in brief tell us maybe a little bit of, of what that you what you had shared. I think there was a, there was a story that you had shared that was, that was very powerful and uh, helped a lot of people kind of gain perspective on on our avoda during this time. Sure, I'd be very happy. You know, the attacks happened on Shabbos morning, October 7th, and um, the next time I needed to speak for the Seabor, for the congregation, was one full week later. Uh, so it gave me a lot of time to think about it. Um, I did give small bursts of inspiration to the Gila, and we started several initiatives, but I really wanted to take a little bit of time to absorb myself and think it through myself and also listen to people that are much greater and smarter than me to hear what kind of messages they're sharing with the public. And I put that all together and I asked the Seaboard to come together Shabbos morning, even though I don't request them usually to come to Shul Shabbos morning. I made a request and I also warned them, even though normally I speak between 12 and 15 minutes, it can take a little bit longer today, guys. Uh, we have a lot to address and we, we spoke it through. So, you know, I don't know how much want me to share right now, there were definitely several bullet points throughout the entire drosha. Um, I think an important piece for a lot of people I've been hearing over and over again since then is this difficulty, the dichotomy of moving ahead in life, continuing family life and work life and spiritual life at the same time, not forgetting about what's happening in Earth. You saw what's happening even locally. And that split is a very hard balance to maintain, which we can speak about more if you want to. Um, I also spoke a lot about the power of Atfilos, the power of Davenik, uh, and understanding and appreciating that um, every single thing that happens in our life, including this, comes from Hashem. And even if we do not understand and we will not understand, we have to understand it's for the best. I just saw an article just yesterday where the writer wrote, the writer wrote that uh, the only ones who understand, unfortunately, are the uh, the victims and the korbanos of this terrible massacre. October 7th. They're in Shemayim. They have clarity of why Kodesh Baruch Hu did what he did. So we're left behind with that lack of clarity, but we have to maintain a moon and bitachon. So I'm not, I'm not sure exactly which story you're referencing, but it could be you're referencing the following story that was sent to me. Um, I don't know if it was a true story or just an analogy, a muscle, uh, but it's a story about a young girl that uh, unfortunately had a terrible burn. And uh, she was in the Hatzalah ambulance on the way to the hospital, and she was crying terribly, she was screeching terribly, and the father was beg begging the paramedics to give her some sort of Novocaine or something to calm her pain, and they insisted they really can't do any medical intervention other than the basics until she's in the hands of the doctor. And he got so angry to the point of almost being violent, forcing them, you have to, you have to, you have to, she's in so much pain, she's in so much pain, she's crying, she's screeching, we have to help her. And when they came to the hospital and they gave her the initial care and got everything under control, uh, the doctor informed them that, thank God, they did not give her that extra medicine because what kept her alive, because she had so much damage to her lungs, was the screaming. The screaming itself is what kept her alive. And so, too, in life, you know, sometimes we'd rather have peace and tranquility. And so we daven for that in the Sana Taikev. This should be a year of peace and tranquility. But Kodesh Baruch decided in his ultimate wisdom that right now what's going to keep us alive is our screaming, is our davening, is our turning towards the Kodesh Baruch And, uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, I think Kali Souls responded 
um, like champions in terms of how much they've invested for those in Eretz Israel and here. So um, that was one point that I said, I came across a fascinating medrash, which I think was a marvelous idea, is that the Makas Barad in Mitzrayim, the plague of the hail, the Barad was made out of the tears of B'nai Yisrael's tefillos, prayers to HaKadosh Baruch Hu during that time. So, you know, leave it in Hashem's hands and let him, you know, cause those who are causing our pain to be taken away and let us get on with our lives. And that happens through our tefillos, through our prayers. One of the things that I find a little bit confusing for me sometimes in, in a situation like this. And I, I guess it kind of goes back to a fundamental question about tefillah, but without necessarily getting into the, all the machshava, you know, involved in tefillah, but just thinking about it in the particular circumstance now is when we focus so much on the idea of bitachon, like you're saying of that it's Biyad Hashem, that what has happened, what will happen, the plan here is something that is coming from Hashem. So on the one hand, what that would actually kind of mean is that there's a little bit more of a of a of a witnessing. There's more of a kind of the role for us is kind of to to have and to give edus to that, right? Um, like uh, like the eye and the, and the dalit in kriyashma are, are enlarged, sure. right? To to, sure. to be an aid, but it's a little bit almost more of a of a passive role in a sense uh, versus the focus on tefillah and the crying, like you're saying, where it's more like the tefillah is we're, we're davening to Hashem to save us. We're davening to Hashem for, for a certain outcome, I, I think, to some in, in some way, which is like we're trying to change the plan. Sure. So, so, sure. so, so if we're, <laughs> right, if we're, if we're, if we're, Taking the Amuna and Bitachon that 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 there's a plan here and the plan is in sure. Hashem's hands and we're really strengthening that, really trying to 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 hold on to that really tightly. But then at the same time, there's such an emphasis on the Tehillim and the Davening. How yeah. does that? How do we live yeah. with that? It's a great question. I got a question last night that I thought was uh, an interesting question. I never had it before. Is Rabbi? I believe that everything Hashem does is for the best, but do we have to believe it's the very best? <laughs> It was an interesting question, meaning I believe it's for the best, but maybe there's a better best that Hashem could do for us. It could be a little bit nicer and easier to handle. So I, I, I appreciate your question, but I think the answer to you is, is that Imuna uh, means acceptance. Acceptance means that as long as Hashem feels this is the situation we have to be in, I accept that it's the will of Hashem and I believe it's for the best. That does not mean I don't want it to change. Let's say, for example, someone has a very serious illness. Um, one has to accept the decree from heaven that he chose for them to be ill while still trying to change it by going to doctors and praying. So that really isn't a contradiction whatsoever. And very often it's exactly why Hashem brought it upon us. Hashem made the Imohos, the matriarchs, barren so that they would daven to him and change that. So it really, they go hand in hand with each other is that how we react and how we handle in the meantime shows our moon that we're not questioning God and we're not challenging God in that sense. But at the same time, we're trying to do what we can through our merits and our feelings to change it. You mentioned before that that Claudia Yisrael has responded uh, like champions to to what has gone on, and and I I to a, to a large degree have felt that also. I think we're all feeling that. The worry that I have constantly in the back mm -hmm. of my head is that, of course, we're hoping Yeshua Hashem Keharif Ayin and Mashiach will come behesa Hadas and at any moment in the blink of an eye and 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 hope that this will end in in the most positive way very quickly. But Al Piteva, by way of nature, this is probably going to be something that is going to take a very long time uh, yeah. and if we really you know look at it al piteva it might take a extremely long time and yeah. and how do we keep this how do we keep this up how do we keep this alive uh, i i worry about the same thing uh you know unfortunately uh there are too many people when COVID started and was in its most intense stages you know this is we're going to change forever 
we're never going to be the same. And unfortunately, in many ways, I think we're even worse in certain areas of life, which I don't think we should focus on right now. Um, I, I guess I would respond in two ways. Um, I'm nervous as well about this, and I really hope this is not true. You know, I recently crystallized the point that I it only dawned upon recently. It's very simple, just it crystallized in my in my head that we really have two jobs right now. One job we have is increasing merits on behalf of the Jews and Eretz Yisrael that everyone should be safe and everyone should be well. That's by St. Tehillim. That's by doing special mitzvahs on their behalf and creating, so to speak, a spiritual force field on behalf of Hashem. Just share with you a nice idea I just saw this week is that the Tasha Rebbe says in a Sefer on Tehillim that there's 150 chapters of Tehillim, which corresponds to the word Khan, which is a nest, because the Shechina corresponds to a tzipor, to a bird. And we're giving God a bird, a, a nest in this world to come down and protect us by saying Tehillim. Tehillim. So we've been, you know, immersing ourselves in Tehillim. But at the same time, what I came to clarity that I had was that Hashem didn't just bring a war for us to end it. He brought a war for us to change. So while we have one track we're working on protecting and getting the hostages back and having a foolish for everyone that's injured, we have to also try to figure out what are we doing ourselves to become different people because of it. There's a message that's being sent to us. And if we are witness to what's happening right now, we have to change in a certain way. So I would respond in two ways. First of all, I have to be realistic. So let's say, for example, everyone is so excited there's more Aftos and Claudius. So. so before, I'm not giving exact numbers. Our Aftos is here. Right now, our Aftos is here. After this, I'm hoping it's here. I, just, let's not get back, you know, Unfortunately, we have to accept the reality that until now, it could happen that a soldier would go through Meir Sha'arim and be treated inappropriately. And it could be that a Haredi person would go through a secular community in Tel Aviv and treated inappropriately. I really sincerely believe that's not going to happen for another two decades. And I think that's a tremendous accomplishment. I think we've made progress in that area. Will they be as close as they are right now? How have I? But I, you have to be honest, I don't think right. that'll be 100% true. So that's one thing. I, I think the other thing is, is that we have to know this human nature. We have to recognize this human nature. And if we recognize it and do techniques to ensure that we could stay strong and maintain our stamina throughout this process, we could push it for longer. So let's say, for example, you know, a lot of people like to quote that Robinson Cutler during World War II, she loved having a cube of sugar in her tea. She stopped having her cube of sugar during the war. Now, it's important to realize she didn't do that as a merit on behalf of those who were going through the war. She did it because she loved sugar so much that it was a constant reminder that there's a war going on. She built into her day-to-day -day life something that reminded her that things are not the same. Um, we've heard the famous story from Pesach Krohn that it was actually a common thing in communist Russia that women that had newborn children were afraid they wouldn't have the the, the grit and the wherewithal to get their child a bris, they macabre, they accept upon themselves not to kiss that child until after the bris. Hmm. It's unfathomable, but they did something concrete and strong to ensure they would continue to follow through on what their desire is. And that's why you know, we have to think of ways to ensure that we can maintain this focus on what's happening in Eretz Yisrael, which I think is very, very important. I, I know as a shul, I've been very careful that a lot of the initiatives that we do uh, we don't do long term, we do short term. So let's say, for example, we announced we're saying Avina Malkenu is only right the, the first week right after the war broke out, only until after Shabbos. Because unfortunately, I knew that if we kept on saying it for multiple weeks, it wouldn't have the same power, the right. same electricity. You know, someone recommended that we should sing Achenu as opposed to saying Achenu. And I said, we're only doing that on Shabbos. So we can maintain its freshness and it can maintain its excitement. And there's even certain projects that we didn't unroll immediately, hoping the war would end. But if it would, we could have fresh new projects every week that would kind of keep us refocused and re-energized, you know, to do what we're doing. So I think, you know, we have to recognize our human nature and therefore build into 
our schedule and our lives, things that will constantly remind us of what's going on. But, you know, I, I really do hope, like I said before, I, I can't expect it to be a complete overhaul and change unless Mashiach comes. That'd be great. Uh, but that doesn't happen. I, I think things are really different. I think they really are. Thank God. Baruch Hashem. And just as kind of an interesting, uh, maybe maramakom to that concept, right? Because there's this interesting halacha we have during a Sarasim Chuva of taking certain chumras that people are not usually, certain stringencies people are not usually uh, makbit or careful on. And the idea embedded in that halacha clearly is not that you then continue the stringency the whole year, because otherwise that sif and shulchan would only be relevant for one year in a person's life. Right. Right. Yeah. So clear. So clearly, the point is that there there is a very real concept yes. in Yiddishkeit of you can do something at a certain time that actually is not meant to be exactly that way forever. Because I think oftentimes the mindset in growth that people talk about is like sure. this has to stay like this forever, otherwise it was a failure. But the idea sure. being that there can be a certain extreme you go to in a certain context, knowing that the plan, even lachatchila, even from the outset, the plan is not that this is going to stay exactly at this level forever, but that there is sure. there's a reshimu, there's an imprint that that's left over that that slowly over time changes the person. Yeah, hundred percent. It's true. I, I've gotten comments during the Yemenirai. I'm, like, I'm being hypocritical. I'm only doing this for one week. And I said, Adarabba, you know, first of all, show Hashem what you know your path is, where you want to be in life. And he understands this is for one week when the Melech is Basada, he's close to you, then you have to act a little bit more the way you're supposed to. But Hashem understands. And that's really the key right now. I, I have been sensing a lot of people uh, with a guilty conscience that they're not doing more. I need to do more. I'm not doing enough. We have to do more. Or they're even seeing a lot of the clips that are being passed around, that there are certain absolute heroes that have stepped up. It's unfathomable what they're doing. And, and Hashem should give them continued kaifas, but that's not for every single one of us. And to understand that the little growth that we do is appreciated by Hashem. You know, this past uh, Rosh Hashanah, one of my uh, three, I make three Kabbalahs a year on Rosh Hashanah. I try to do one, but uh, one of my Kabbalahs was to say two chapters of Tehillim every single day. Um, unfortunately, I've been forced to do much more than that right now, but I'm hoping that it will last. You know, something small that you can take upon yourself that Hashem, it should be tomorrow, but if it's in two weeks or a month from now that this war is over, you'll be able to look back and say, you know, I'm not the same. And that actually is one story that I shared in the drusha that I gave, you know, Parshas Bracious, is that you may recall there's an unfortunate incident that happened in Ramot last year where there was a car ramming and the two beautiful angelic children of, of the Paley family, they were killed by that terrorist. And uh, Mrs. Paley, uh, unbelievable, I'm going to be talking that she displayed and she's spoken many times since then. And one of her speeches, I didn't hear it myself, but I heard that she said, you know, please, audience, make some sort of permanent concrete change or else my children died in vain. Hashem, I understand they're in Shemaim and there has to be a reason why this was, but it certainly is for us to be woken up and to make some sort of change, small change, but something permanent and something real. At first, I was I, I was very worried about about this, about losing touch with what's going on in Eretz Yisrael, because for people living in Eretz Yisrael, it's, you, you can't lose touch with it, but yeah. for us here, I was... Yeah. But the truth is, I mean, it's, it's very obviously very unfortunate and very scary, but there's, I guess, the upside to it is that the increase in what feels like radical anti-Semitism mm -hmm. where sure. we're living too kind of is almost like, well, we can't forget now. It's almost like taking the sugar <laughs> yeah. out from our teeth, you know, the Robinson Cutler. It's like yeah. the sugar has been taken out of our teeth um, because it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's scary. And it's scary, not just thinking about Yidden across the world, but it's scary sure. right here, you know, in, sure. in, in Chicago um, and, and in everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the reminder is is uh, the consciousness is is automatic almost. Yeah, I finally started shifting whenever I talk publicly. Let's say to him on behalf of the Eden Eretz I actually say and on behalf of those around the world. Yeah. I don't think we're safe anymore, and I think we all realize that. Unfortunately, I saw a clip yesterday that the conductor of the underground train, which is like the subway system in London, was screaming "Free, free!" and the passengers were saying "Palestine." So this wasn't the passengers themselves. It was the conductor over the loudspeaker for the entire train, which is, uh, it's, it's scary. That's very yeah. scary. Yeah. I'd much rather be unsafe in Eretz Yisrael than, than unsafe here. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, Let's go. Yeah. You in? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I was invited to a mission next week, but unfortunately I can't go right now. But uh, there, are, there are a lot of people going, which is uh, beautiful to see. Yeah. I wanted to ask a question that's a little bit of a, I think uh, a difficult question that, my guess is I'm not the only one thinking about, but I don't think mm-hmm. people are voicing so much, which is mm-hmm. what is the proper hashkaf or the proper outlook on how we look at Palestinians? So I don't sure. mean Hamas, I don't mean terrorists, sure. and I don't mean anybody sure. who in any way is even remotely or loosely supportive or in, in favor of what Hamas is doing. Right. Uh, I think that's a much easier category to look at. There is shame we need to eliminate them. Sure. Uh, sure. But but the people but are there? Do we believe that there are people living in Gaza who are not part of that? And and if so, sure. how are we supposed to look at them and whatever might now happen to them? Right. I mean, and as always, we have to have mercy on Hashem's children. I mean, once you framed the question the way that you did, that we're not talking about anyone at all that could be a terrorist who wants to destroy, you know, the enti- not just Ju- Judaism but the entire Western culture and the entire world. Um, you know, if we're not talking about those, then, you know, we have to have mercy in Hashem's children. Uh, and it's very important to keep that in mind. I gave a halacha shir two weeks ago, based on a tshuva from Rav Asher Weiss, on the halachic permissibility to be involved in a war that the collateral damages that civilians have to die, which is unfortunately what we're facing right now. And, uh, you know, I kept on framing the question that if in theory you have to bomb a building that for sure has terrorists in it, but you know also civilians are going to die, halachically, why is that permissible? So we're not going to give a halacha shir right now, but several people in the crowd said, but, but there are no innocent civilians. There are no innocent civilians. And I said, well, you don't know that. You don't know that. And I would even make that there's three categories. There's the actual terrorists themselves. There's those who have clearly and definitively chosen to be supportive of them and to back their causes. And there might be another category. Those are just, you know, who who are really simple bystanders. And we got indoctrinated a bit, but, you know, but they're not really involved. They wouldn't cause any pain. They don't want to cause any pain. Maybe they'll scream something out a window, but they don't really, we never do anything bad. And there are those that are within there that probably don't want any of this. So if you could really focus in on those, we have to have mercy on Hashem's children and we want them to be safe, we want them to be well. We have to feel very bad if they, uh, certainly if anyone gets injured or harmed or killed um, as part of this collateral of the attacks on the Hamas themselves. Um, you know, that, that's a general outlook. They're not, they're not part of a Malik. Uh, they are Hashem's children. They are, in a certain way, our half-brothers. Um, and we want well for them. We want well for them. And, you know, I have uh, Muslim relationships here in Chicago. And, you know, we've touched base, you know, with each other. Just, uh, you know, say that let's not allow this to spill over to our personal lives. And I think that has to be the proper attitude. It has to be the proper attitude. So some of the more uh, kind of, I don't know, extreme uh, expressions that that people are saying, which, you know, understandable because it's an emotional response to what has happened. But some of those types of very strong kind of sweeping statements about what we need to do to them, et cetera, like that, that's not the proper, 
you know, Torah Hashkafa. It's, it's not the proper Torah Hashkafa. I mean, the problem is, is you know, I, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a Mari Makum that's not exactly the same, but you'll get the idea um, when I say it. You know, the Gemara tells us in Masechus Bava Basra that, you know, thank God for the charlatans that fake that they're poor, because if it would be for them, we'd be punished every time we don't give a dollar to a poor person. So now we have a right to be suspect. Perhaps the person in front of me is one of the fakes and not one of the reals. And, you know, unfortunately, we've been tainted to the point that we make a sweeping assumption that every single Palestinian, everyone who's a member of Yishmael is part of this. And I don't think it's fair for us to do that. Um, I, I unfortunately am afraid it's the numbers are higher than we want them to be. And uh, so we're not going to get into statistics or numbers. But if we really are going to focus in on that small percentage that are just good people, um, Keep the Zionists as Noah, do not want to cause harm to anybody, then um I don't think we should speak speak in such sweeping terms. I don't think we should. Yeah. That's just not my not my Mahalach for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that you're you're very involved, obviously, and have very close connections with uh many of the Gidola Yisrael in the Aguda world in particular and the Moetzes. Is there anything, just as kind of a last uh, last piece for us to talk about, is there anything you're hearing from uh, any of those gedolim that you think uh, would be, you know, something you could kind of share, tell over that, you know, obviously there's all the the, the basics sure. that we're all hearing, sure. which are which are basics sure. for a reason. They're the things we've all yeah. heard for a reason. Is what we need to keep hearing. But anything that maybe is a little bit uh, less of what's already circulating sure. that might be interesting. Sure. Um, I'll tell you an old story, then I'll get to what they're saying now because it's related to what we're saying right now. Because definitely the gedolim I've spoken to, I've spoken to Relia Brudney, I've spoken to Yosef Elephant personally, or Ron Feldman, Marshi from Neri Searle. Um, the main topic they're focusing on is Nosiba Um Chavero, is really just caring and feeling the plight for those in Eretz Yisrael, uh, which is only possible by really stopping and thinking and absorbing. You know, I'll just give you one little example that I only thought about for the first time now, I'm almost embarrassed, is that um, I might have to leave my wife next week for one night. And I was thinking how I feel bad for her that she's going to take care of the kids on her own. And are we even thinking about the wives of these soldiers who are taking care of their families alone for weeks upon weeks? and afraid that their husbands are in danger. Like, I cannot even imagine the wives. So we're talking about the hostages and the soldiers and uh, whatever. It's, it's impossible to fail. We have to be noticed of Omar and I've been hearing that over and over and over again. And one story that's a very personal story that happened to me is that I was in Eretz Yisrael a few years ago uh, with a group of Alabat, and we were visiting Gedolim, and um, we were going to Bnei Brak, and one of the Gedolim we were going to visit was Beryl Pavorsky, the Panavizhi Rosh Hashiva, and we had just come from a very nice lunch, and you'll see why this is an important part of the story. And it was exactly the week that the three boys were taken captive in the Gush Etzion area. So one of the members of our group, while we were there, we were talking about different topics. He says, you know, does the Rosh Hashiva know that there's three boys that have been taken captive in the Gush Etzion area? Is it possible to, you know, give a bracha on their behalf? And it was an unfortunate assumption that he didn't know, which gets a little bit to the Aftas piece that we spoke about earlier. He said to us, do I know? I've been fasting since I found out. So we hotshots from America who just came from this big lunch, you know, fressing, we're all sensitive and Osibel and Javier, but he's literally been fasting, only eating at night since they were taken captive, which just shows their sensitivity. And really, that's been the main topic they've been having home and pushing and pushing and pushing. Uh, in their mind, the actus of us getting along with each other is certainly um, premier and important, but they feel the higher form of actus is really caring. Meaning, even if we don't get into the room or have a conversation with someone that we never did with before, that's also important. But the higher level of aftas is really, really caring and really davening and really sending them and really doing things on their behalf and not forgetting about it. So that's been one of the main messages, you know, they've been sending home. Uh, there's one idea I heard from Rav Elephant. Uh, he was quoting the Gemara Yavamas, 
that um, when a ger comes to convert to Judaism, we try to at first discourage them just to sense if they're sincere and they really want to join because we do want them to join. We just have to kind of go through this process to you know to check their sincerity. But one of the things we tell the potential ger is, you know, you're about to join a nation that's you know that they've oppressed and they're and they're punished and it's difficultly part of this nation. And the response that the Gemara says, and if they say any could die, I'm not even worthy about being part of such a nation, then they could join Kalayasol immediately. And his question was, is that like it's enough for them to say, yes, I'm willing to, but for them to say any could die, I'm not worthy. It's almost like it's a Milo that we have that we're in the situation. And he explained that, you know. We believe, and this is what Gemara tells us, that we'd rather be the near Duffim than the Rodfim. We'd, ra- we'd rather be the oppressed than the oppressors. You know, a very well-known story of the Kleisenberger Rebbe that he was once being beaten by a Nazi, a Machshamay, and he said to the Nazi guard, I would never trade places with you. I'd rather be me right now than be you. And we really believe that. And he says, reason partially why we're treated the way we are in Gullis is because every creature has a natural habitat. And Kla Yisrael's natural habitat is in Eretz Yisrael. And I know that attacks happen in Eretz Yisrael, but it's still not a natural habitat without the coming Mashiach and the base of Mikdash. So we don't really belong here. And when we're not in our natural habitat, we're vulnerable. And that's why nations don't make us comfortable here because we're not supposed to be comfortable here. And we have to, amongst all the other things, we have to keep in our mind constantly. We have to keep in our mind constantly that we don't belong here. And we have to do things to get back there at the Eretz Yisrael with the coming Mashiach. So that's another you know theme I've been hearing again as well you know during these current times. So... A lot of important messages, but those are definitely the two main ones. The Nursi Bell and Chavay are part of it. Really, really powerful. Thank you so much. I have to, uh, in uh, yeah. some other time, I have to tell you a funny personal story that I have with uh, Beryl uh, Pavarsky from my uh, Shana Aleph, uh, yeah. but uh, another time. Thank you so much. Very, very powerful, very meaningful. We should, Amir Tashem, see Yeshuas and Chamos, Bikarov. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a good day. so much for listening if you enjoyed this please follow us on whatsapp youtube or instagram all our podcast series can be found wherever you listen to podcasts i'd love to hear from you so please reach out with questions comments or suggestions or to be added to our whatsapp groups you can reach us through email using yakov y-a-k-o-v dot attached at gmail.com or on whatsapp at 773-888-2413